Welcome to Funny, They Don't Look Jewish, where Judaism appears in the panels. Our purpose is to find characters, stories, and issues of comics that explore explicitly Jewish content. I'm Henry Bernstein. I'm Brandon Bernstein. No No relation. relation. All right, Brandon. Well, it's great to be back recording with you. Yeah, I always, I'm really sad that we're at a point now where it keeps being like a long gap in between. Well, it's funny because we're we're definitely nearing, as we were talking to Jerry Ordway, I remember saying to him that we were, as we got to Adam Smasher, we were sort of, you know, when he asked how many Jewish characters are there? And we're like, oh, not many. We're kind of near the end of the list. So um, it's sort of interesting that today we're, uh, we're not covering a new Jewish character that we haven't talked about before. Who are we covering today? We actually made the decision that um, that we're going to go back. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, Henry. And I don't mean Brayshit. I don't mean uh, your birth or my birth. I mean the beginning of this podcast, all the way back to February 2019 and the first character we ever covered, The Thing. Um And we're going to kind of do rounds of catch up because the reality is, um, as I just said, we started this podcast in 2019 and a funny thing happened, Henry. Do you know what that was? Tell me. Comic books kept coming out in between 2019 and now. Oh, that's what happened. So there's actually new comic books with new instances of Jewish content for characters we've already covered. And this is going to give us an opportunity to incorporate that in. And as you know, I get lost in research rabbit holes a lot. And while we were looking, I found old comics we missed with Jewish content. So um, the plan is to do this in probably at least two, maybe three parts. We're going to start today with a few characters uh, and we're just going to go through one by one, catching up on all of them and what they've been up to Jewishly since we saw them last. Let's talk about the thing. We're looking at Fantastic Four, number 538, June 2006, Street Fighting, written by J. Michael Straczynski, penciled by Mike McCone, inked by Andy Lanning, Chris Justice, and Cam Smith, colored by Paul Mounts, lettered by VCs Russ Wooten, and edited by our, our old pal Tom Brevoort from, I think, our first episode with of that thing uh issue sounds about right he'd probably be the fantastic four line editor at that time yeah yeah so this would be one that we we'd missed that you know this came out four years after things coming out uh this is june of 2006 and this comes in the middle of marvel's civil war crossover so maybe folks out there have heard of the marvel cinematic universes captain america civil war movie but that of course is based on a comic series what is the Civil War crossover. In 2006, Mark Miller uh, wrote a the main summer crossover for Marvel that year, um, that being a title called Civil War, in which the young heroes known as the New Warriors uh, got a little bit reckless in a fight with Nitro in Stamford, Connecticut, and it caused uh, an explosion of a school bus and the death of dozens of school children and I think hundreds of people in the town. And basically the world wanted accountability and they asked for a superhero registration act during which the government was asking for every single superhero to register with it, including giving over their secret identity. And basically they would be similar to like, you know, registration for operating a firearm every superhero had to register with the government of course iron man and mr fantastic and a few others are 
overwrought with guilt and are pro-registration. Captain America and many others are more on the side of civil liberties and protecting the privacy of individual citizens, and they are anti-registration. And it leads to giant, you know, colorful battles the way that we love them in our crossovers. It's a lot of summer blockbuster fun. At the time, it was pretty engaging and shocking and and looking back i feel we're we're in an era where a lot of people are kind of more critical of the mid-2000s comic books Mm -hmm. and definitely of mark miller Mm -hmm. uh but anyway that's all the larger context what really matters here is that as i said mr fantastic is pro registration the rest of the fantastic four aren't quite sure exactly where they are uh in terms of sides but in the first issue of civil war johnny storm is coming out of a nightclub and he gets beaten up by angry citizens over what the superheroes had done and he gets beaten up so badly that he's put into a coma Um, because again this is the kind of edgelord stuff that existed in the (laughs) mid-2000s comic book scene so dark yeah it's it's very dark and this issue of fantastic four opens up with johnny storm in the hospital in a coma with the rest of the team visiting on page six uh reed and sue leave leaving ben behind so ben's alone in the hospital keeping johnny company and we see this page that's set up with uh maybe like eight panels showing the way that ben is spending time he's clearly being there he's clearly there for hours and hours and it's showing how time is passing and on the third panel we just come in in media res with ben saying so i told the rabbi what's the big deal it's not like the cat won't grow his fur back which was not the thing to say and and then there's a beat just to pay a panel of of ben sitting there quiet And then the fifth panel, Ben thinking more solemnly to himself, I haven't been to Temple in a long time. I wonder if there's a prayer for somebody in your situation. And it's actually like, it's very sweet, like the way that his, you know, uh, telling uh, an innocent anecdote ends up leading, oh, wait, maybe there's something in my religious tradition, Um, which is just so true. So many people, you know, the expression, of course, that there's there's no atheist in a foxhole. There's, you know, or people who are on a plane ride who don't believe in God. And yet when there's turbulence and it gets really bad, people are like, oh, God, please, please. So Ben also is kind of this person who in this moment, uh, seeing Johnny like this is suddenly jumping to and saying like, oh, wait, maybe there's something in religion. And and I find in hospitals, a lot of times, even people that normally wouldn't are maybe like turning to you know, I, I don't remember, we've talked about this, I'm sure, Henry, like I did a, a chaplaincy internship one summer. And so I spent a lot of time on hospital floors talking to families and patients. And uh, some of them were, were turning for prayers of healing, some were not. But anyway, um, poor Ben I, asking, I wonder if there's a prayer for someone. Um, poor Ben has forgotten a lot from Hebrew school, it seems, my <laughs> friend. Uh, because while there's not anything, not anything as far as I know that's specifically for a coma, uh, we do have numerous options for healing for somebody who is uh, sick physically, mentally, spiritually. So, of course, these options include uh, Misha Berach, um, which is sort of a, a header name for a, a number of different prayers. There's Misha Berachs for various occasions, but a lot of people are most familiar with the Misha Berach for healing, um, you know, a prayer that literally means like, may the one who blessed. Um, so it's a prayer for healing that is usually recited uh when the Torah is out during a Torah service. So it can be recited on Mondays and Thursdays, but definitely on Shabbat morning. Um, And generally during the Torah service, you recite this prayer for healing. And a lot of people may not know, but in the more traditional texts, there's actually a custom of even giving tzedakah on the sixth person's behalf. 
uh, bath as you're going through and reciting it. So in the blessing, you know, asking that God provide healing for the one who is sick, um, some versions have this line that sort of says um, that for that person's sake, um, that one will without making a promise, but like hopefully trying to, will will make a contribution to the tzedakah on behalf of the sick one. So there's this idea that sort of giving for the sake of righteousness will maybe get you like brownie points essentially for healing. So there's the healing prayer of There's also a tradition of reciting tehillim or psalms by the bedside. A lot of times people will get a book of psalms and uh, there's certain ones that if you, if you do some Googling, you can find ones that are sort of set aside as being particularly efficacious uh, for praying for healing. Um, and of course, this is slightly tangential, but after a person's recovered, there's also a tradition on Shabbat mornings of someone being able to go to shul and recite Birkat HaGomel or a blessing that one recites after uh, sometimes miraculously surviving a dangerous or life-threatening situation. You love these like sweet moments of Ben Grimm, you know, and it's nice to have just a little bit of touch of his Jewishness shortly after it became official. Pretty cool of J. Michael Straczynski, like he was paying attention when Carl Ke- Kessel, Carl Kiesel made him uh, Jewish just four years before. I-, I like that. Yeah, it's like a very nice, I mean, reality is I think this is the kind of content sometimes I'm looking for where it's a reminder of the fact that someone's Jewish without repeating the same beats over and over again right, right. like this is what it means to just see Ben's a superhero and every now and then his Judaism comes up that's right. the kind of thing I want to see right so what was the prayer he uh, he came up with, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> well, in this comment, in the next panel, which again, we're assuming time's fast, you see Ben bored out of his mind and singing the lyrics to YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, it's funny because he's he's leaning over the foot of of Johnny's bed. So he's sort of like in Johnny, uh, this big giant mo- rock monster lumbering over Johnny's comb coma body belting YMCA. <laughs> yeah, like if Johnny woke up in that moment, would he be like, I, I, made, a, I made an eternal nightmare right. that I can't get out of. Right, right. Right, right, yeah. It's a little bit strange the sort of going back and forth. I kind of pointed out, poor Ben has forgotten, but uh, you know, in, in the 2002 issue that we covered where we reveal that Ben's Jewish, you know, he comes by because he thinks it's Yom Kippur and there's a lot of stuff where like, he's like, do I remember it? Do I not? So it is just a little interesting kind of sometimes he seems to remember a lot. Sometimes he doesn't. What's really strange is that just one month after this, I believe, is when the issue of his bar mitzvah comes out. Oh, Interesting. Right. So it's a little strange that like this month he's saying, boy, is there a prayer to heal somebody? And then the next month he has his bar mitzvah. I'm going to do my best to explain everything and put it together uh, a little later in the episode. Okay. Um, but I just want to point that out as a little strange. Um, unfortunately, there's not really any Jewish content in the rest of the Civil War storyline. However, um, the next issue, Fantastic Four number 539, does have what may be not quite explicit, but uh, perhaps the most Jewish diction ever. Um, when the thing goes to a deli and we get the line, this by you is corned beef. <laughs> that is like such a Yiddish-ism to, to say this by you is. 100%. I remember talking in rabbinical school about the, the like, somehow it comes up with Shabbat where people would make Shabbat plans and they'd be like, oh, we're going to come by you for Shabbos this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. actually a, a little more to that. Um, was, my brother explained it to me because I always wondered why 
um, from my experience, I would say more ritually observant from people for, would say that, uh, it seemed like who are you staying by for Shabbat? And it's because it's actually a Yiddish word, by, which comes from the Hebrew word etzel, and there isn't really a English translation of it. It's yeah, it like, sort of means towards, it sort of means yes. high. Yeah. yeah, so like, but, yeah. It become, but it became anglicized and also sort of Yiddishized at the same time, and it's just like, who you staying by, you know? <laughs> so, oh my god, I so, love it. So that's like a, just a, such a good, like, juicy Yiddish Englishism with like you know sort of Hebrew <laughs> origins and then when it goes into other areas of language it's so funny I think there's something about it that to the average reader maybe they would read this and be like oh yeah this feels very New York right um, but it's right. actually right it's very as you said it's very lower east side Delhi Yiddish right like there's that Jewish influence that I imagine that you know um a lot of people probably wouldn't be able to tell. They know something's a little weird about the diction. They know it feels like almost Yoda-like in some right, ways. Right, right, um, right, right. But right. like, there's there's just like something about it where, as you said, that that it, it gives it that flavor that, uh, like a good corned beef, it's just a nice, rich flavor. That I I'm mean, it's the thought. type of thing that like probably Jack Kirby would have, or even Stan Lee, like would have encouraged in terms of the way, you, you, you know, the way the thing talks that like, for why, why for for you know 40 years he wasn't officially jewish but he would say things like this that sort of alluded to it you know yeah i love that image ben Grimm wandering in the desert of non-jewishness for 40 years <laughs> until finally he gets into the promised land of revealing his true self on the panel <laughs> anyway so Looking next, Henry, what are we looking at next? Next, we're looking at Black Cat number four from September of 2019. The story is called The Yancey Street Shuffle, written by Jed McKay, penciled by Travel Foreman, colored by Brian Reber, lettered by Ferran Delgado, and edited by Nick Lowe. So Black Cat, Spider-Man villainous, sometimes friend or foe. Uh, Black Cat got her own... Uh, miniseries in 2019 and she's visiting johnny storm I, this is years later so i assume johnny storm came out of that coma brandon and oh yeah definitely came <laughs> out of the coma died came back to life from dying witnessed the end of the universe died technically then came back because doom saved them came back to the universe anyway a lot has happened for johnny storm and for every character because comics <laughs> because comics well anyway felicia hardy who is black cat's alter ego is visiting johnny storm at his place and she's just looking at his pictures on the wall and one of the pictures is a picture of ben Grimm, the thing stomping on glass wearing a kippah and a talus at his wedding which we covered that was an issue that was from our our second episode yeah it's like this is the first time this is the first issue where it came up after we started the podcast and then this issue came out there's nothing new that we've added in here but it's really nice to see that forever like i don't think i ever thought about that that the not only did that issue of the things wedding give us this beautiful iconography and this beautiful image representing jewish life by having him in the kippa and tallis but literally any future story that flashes back to or looks at or references that wedding 
will have the image of him wearing the kippa and the talis. Like, how cool is that? That that is just like, that is the image of his wedding. It is forever a Jewish wedding. Yeah. Uh, even like 20, 30, 40 years from now, God willing, there might be a comic looking back at it and like still drawing it from new angles. You know, that's really amazing because like, Weddings and comics are a thing when they happen. They're very big. And, you know, like you can probably close your eyes and picture uh, Sue, Sue Storm and Reed Richards' wedding, you know, with all the Marvel superheroes sitting there. Um, I can certainly, same thing for Spider Man and Mary Jane. I can certainly picture Lois and Clark's wedding. And to be able to do that, and like you said, it's forever a Jewish wedding, that's really special. I'm really, I feel like, I don't know. I obviously, I feel like, you know, we were a part of it. I don't know. It just feels like because we were in the moment covering it when it, when it happened and sort of yeah. at the beginning of it all, it seems like we were there, you know, at the wedding. Yeah, we were, we were there. We were guests in attendance <laughs> uh, along with uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of, of our closest friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's it. It's just the one panel. And I'm going to move us into our final issue for the thing today. Um, we're now looking at Immortal Hulk number 41, which came out in December 2020. Henry, you want to tell us who the creative team was? Happy to. We're looking at written by Al Ewing, penciled by Joe Bennett, inked by Roy Jose and Bellardino Bravo, colored by Paul Mounts, lettered by VCs Corey Pettit, and edited by Will Moss. Yeah, and the issue is called The Man Downstairs, which, you know, the Immortal Hulk run is probably one of the best runs of the Hulk I've ever read and definitely one of my favorite runs of the past few years. Al Ewing did incredible work on this series, Henry, and I, I still remember when the first few issues came out talking yeah. to you about them yeah. and how incredible they were. And, and you know, it recently ended with number 50 in, in the year 2021. And um, so this issue is December 2020, towards the end. Yeah, by the way, I just want to say right now, I haven't... I'm a few issues behind. I haven't finished it yet, but I read this one. So <laughs> just great. You. Yes. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yep. Um, so no spoilers beyond Thank this you. issue. Thank you. Um, so this issue is called the man downstairs, which it's one of the major themes that Al Ewing is playing with in this run. It's a lot about uh, some force that's kind of called um, the one below all. Right. And there's, there's throughout the comic, you know, maybe in another uh, episode of the podcast, one day we might come back and look at, uh, the way that comic books use Kabbalah and different elements of Jewish mysticism, because the different spherot, the different Kabbalistic emanations of God, get referenced throughout the Immortal Hulk run in a few different times. But um, and when you start to talk about the one below all, it reminds me in in Kabbalistic Judaism of Sitra Acha or the the other side of the spherot, the sort of like an evil side but that's not quite what we're looking at that's just a uh, context that's that's flavoring things this issue actually opens up with a fight between the fantastic four and the hulk at coney island specifically between hulk and ben the thing um now the hulk is in his joe fix it persona uh which was uh basically when the hulk was gray and was a bodyguard for the mob in vegas he was yeah. a real sort of like greasy guy um and so joe fix it is in the bruce banner body after the fight and he and thing go to a diner to talk which i love i love superhero fights that end and 
talking like as yeah. much as i love the bombastic fighting yeah. i love the just the conversations so they go to the diner to talk and one of the recurring themes also of this series the reason it has its title the immortal hulk is there's a lot of talk of what happens when the hulk dies and how he always comes back to life through uh what we call in comics the revolving door of death and al ewing very cleverly made the revolving green door um so the idea that every time the hulk dies he goes somewhere uh that place being downstairs and then he comes back through this green door so when the thing shares that he also had died once upon a time um, in a famous issue of Fantastic Four, where the entire Fantastic Four actually go to heaven. And they meet Jack Kirby. Right, right. God is Jack Kirby, basically. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> so the rest of the Marvel Universe, they don't know where they went. So Joe Fixit asked Ben after he died whether he went, quote unquote, upstairs or, quote unquote, downstairs. Um, and Ben explains that he went upstairs. So on page 17, he actually gives some context. And I really love that Al Ewing connects on these dots. He says that shortly after meeting the man upstairs, Jack Kirby or God or whatever it might be, um, that's when he started going to temple again, right? That it was the death experience that went, mm -hmm. it's amazing that he did this. And he says, that's when he decided to have his bar mitzvah. And, and Al Ewing goes back into some things that Dan Slott brought up in that, in that thing solo series that we covered in one of our earliest episodes that uh, it'd been 13 years since it become the thing. It's sort of like a second life, how fitting, et cetera. Um, but it's, I just thought it was so clever of Al Ewing to say, actually it was the dying experience and meeting the force above all that's what motivated ben to get re get back in touch with his judaism i just thought that was like a really clever uh subtle retcon and so ben flashes back and not only you know we were just talking about the flashback to his jewish wedding mm -hmm. now we have a flashback to his bar mitzvah and so we see in joe bennett's gorgeous pen um in his beautiful inks and and, and lines um we see this gorgeous middle panel of ben and his bar mitzvah reading from a scroll unfortunately al ewing <laughs> keeps dan's thoughts errored that mm -hmm. uh that the torah portion he would read would come from the book of job <laughs> um but he goes a little deeper and so uh ben summarizes the frame story of Job to Hulk. So I'm going to go ahead and just read what Ben uh, says. Satan, the accuser, takes everything from Job. His home, his family, even his body ain't his no more. All with God's permission to test Job's faith. Of course, it's Satan who asks for the test. Job's buddies figure he deserves it. That bad things don't happen to good guys. In the face of that, Job demands answers. He wants to know why he was hurt. To speak to the man upstairs. So eventually, the Almighty comes to him. Job don't get no answers. Just a glimpse of how much he doesn't know. Of how vast God is. And I gotta say, like, that's a pretty decent summation of yeah. job like he it skips nails over job. he, 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 he yeah. understood his torah portion he he, I mean, yeah. he really was studying with the rabbi for a year i mean he he, <laughs> he very well could have been yeah because like that's a pretty good summary it skips over all the poetry but like that's it and there's something in the way he talks you know um we've never talked about this any but like my zeta he used to he never wanted to tell me things directly like somehow when he was communicating he would never just sit down and be like brandon i want you to understand this he would always like tell me things in a sort of 
backwards or sideways way and leave things unsaid and then kind of like give me a wink and be like you know what i mean and i feel like mm. things kind of doing this also like he's making his point but especially that part where he says you know like it's all god's idea to test job's faith of course satan's the one who asks for the test right mm. like there's something there in the way he's kind of like going back and forth i don't know there's just the way he tells the story felt like it felt like my like i said it felt like my zeta telling mm. me a story mm. That's nice. Well, uh, that's a nice image. The th the thing as your Zadie. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great image. Nice, a nice orange rocky hug. <laughs> um, the only thing I don't like is that he then says, "When I studied that passage at mm. the time." Like, it's not a passage, dude. That's 42 chapters of dense text <laughs> of difficult poetry. And even, even if he, like, read a passage of just God's response, God's response alone is takes place over five <laughs> chapters in the book of Job. Like, well, did least... he read down and study 42 chapters of this book? Well, at least they're consistent with their lack of understanding of the book of Job. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, I mean, it's like you can retcon so much, but I guess Al Ewing felt like, well, it's what Dan's thought said. It needs to continue this way. So like I said, I mean, the real reason I love this is just because of that that beauty of, of tying in Ben's death uh, with the rest of the team to his discovery of Judaism. So I'm trying to make the timeline make sense. And I think this works. So in four number 511, that's the issue where they die and they meet Jack Kirby. That's in May 2004. So two years after we discover he's Jewish, but he's still not doing too much Jewishly. Um, so, so right, that's May 20, 2004. Fantastic Four number 538 is the issue we covered earlier today, uh, June 2006 with Johnny in the hospital. And then thing number eight is July 2006, just one month later with his bar mitzvah. So I think probably what happened is the thing died and went to heaven had been thinking about Judaism over and over and over again and wondering if he should re-engage. And then Johnny going into the coma and him having that moment of, I wonder if there's a prayer is mm -hmm. probably what, what, you know, pushed him to say, you know what, I need mm -hmm. to go and actually get this done. Mm -hmm. um, and even though it came out just a month earlier, I think, or, or a month later, I think thing number eight must have taken place much later in the timeline, especially because Johnny's alive and in attendance, Reed and Sue are fine and spoilers for Civil War. Reed and Sue's marriage really takes a hit during Civil War. <laughs> the whole team splits up and yet they're all together. So we can imagine that things Bar Mitzvah took place like long after Civil War and after things helped. So I think he goes to heaven and meets the creator. Uh, he starts thinking about Judaism again. Johnny winds up in the hospital. He doesn't know if Johnny's going to survive. He decides he needs to do something and re-engage with this faith. He starts meeting with the rabbi, starts training for his bar mitzvah, and then however many months later has the bar mitzvah. That's my my take. Bravo. That is a great, great timeline. I accept it. It is officially canon, Marvel. You, tough. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Uh, I love yeah. the idea that that, you know, going forward you know, there, there's hope and there's a chance, you know, to see more Jewish that we'll be able to check in with uh, the thing again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love it too. Speaking of check-ins, uh, I believe our next episodes were about DC's Batwoman. So Henry, do we have anything new about Batwoman? Unfortunately, not in the comics. And there was, she did have a series since we, we covered her. And she's made appearances here and there in Batman comics, but nothing really. However, her TV show, the first season, had 
several flashbacks uh, or even just references to her as an adult. Um, like there was the day of her bat mitzvah. There was a Jewish funeral. There, there, there has been some Jewish stuff on the TV show. We've posted about them on our social media. So if you want to see a little short video clip or audio clip, check out our Twitter or our Facebook. Go back in the timeline. Just search Batwoman on our Facebook page and you'll be able to find stuff I've posted. So uh, that's really it. So next we have... Uh, you know, we we I know we say this a lot, but arguably, I would say like historically, our favorite Jewish character because she's officially the first, and that is young Kitty Pride. So if you remember, we Kitty Pride's first appearance, she's wearing a Star of David, and if you remember, we talked to Chris Claremont about it. John Byrne had written about it, but um, we're checking in with her much much later brandon anything you want to say about that before i give the the issues everything that we're covering for katie pride came out in 2019 or 2020 so uh we are we are looking at all all stuff that happened for the most part after we were recorded or like as we were recording her episodes awesome so the, we're going to be looking at a bunch of issues from the same series called Age of X-Men, Apocalypse, and the Extracts, numbers 1, 2, 4, and 5. And they're all from, uh, they're all between March and July of 2019. So I, you, you, saw, you heard me, Brandon, struggling a little bit to get that, uh, that mouthful out. I'm going to say the uh, creative team, and then maybe you could tell us what this title is this was written yeah, by yeah, yeah. this was written by tim seeley penciled by salva espin colored by israel silva lettered by vcs travis lankham and edited by jordan d white so what is age of x-man apocalypse and the extracts yeah because it, it sounds like I, I don't even know like maybe it's some sort of like new super fruit that you might see <laughs> advertised for you uh, while waiting for a youtube video it to, sounds like a load. parody of the x-men yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, we're going to go, I'm going to do this as quick as I can, but let's just go back really quick. Um, in 1995, one of the most famous X-Men crossovers of all time happened, and that was a storyline called The Age of Apocalypse. Um, some people mistakenly think the X-Men Apocalypse movie was called Age of Apocalypse, but no, comic storyline, it's amazing. Basically, uh, a parallel universe where Professor X was killed before he ever made the X-Men, and so Apocalypse rises to power early. Uh, there's weird twisted takes on all your favorite characters it's amazing it's this large epic storyline and it was is arguably the height of the x-men in the mid 90s um so one of the characters that we meet in age of apocalypse is the alternate universe version of cable who rather than being a grizzled old man who traveled through time is a, a young petulant teenager named nate gray um or nate gray the x-man um which by the way side note um i love the show community yeah. and um i don't know if you do but i can't remember the episode but there's definitely one where they're talking about brita not knowing comic books and not knowing superhero and they're like yeah Britta's the type of person whose favorite hero is x-man um right <laughs> like if you ask her her favorite superhero they say it's x-man and they meant it as a joke of like she doesn't understand that there's a team called x-men she thinks there's one but there is a character named x-man so <laughs> some people have this read that like 
maybe they're just like making a dig on X-Man. <laughs> I mean, it anyway. is a pretty obnoxious name to name yourself as your co-host. Oh, totally. <laughs> like after 30 years of a comic called X-Men to be like, and this is the X-Man. <laughs> um, yeah, it's anyway. So he's an alternate version of Cable. His name is Nate Gray. And every now and then Marvel likes to go back and sort of play on the popularity of the Age of Apocalypse by doing something new. So in the, I think like 2010s, 2011, Mike Carey led a storyline called Age of X that was very clearly also an alternate universe, sort of a nod to Age of Apocalypse. And then in 2019, um, while the X-Men were more or less killing time in preparation for Jonathan Hickman's run that was coming up, which we'll get to in a little bit, they created the Age of X-Man, where basically X-Man, the survivor from Apocalypse's, uh, from that Age of Apocalypse, um, he gets superpowered. He's got essentially like messiah-like or god-like powers and he uses legion uh professor x's son to create an alternate universe that in his mind is a paradise hence the age of x man um and in this paradise all mutants are fully accepted beloved by people cheered they are celebrities they are heroes everyone loves the x-men so it's a paradise for mutants but it's also a dystopia in that it's anti-religion. X-Man decided religion has no place there. It's anti-love. People do not fall in love, do not go on dates, do not get married, do not have sex. They just like, you know, I guess go and genetically create their kids. But like this world is anti-religion, anti-love. And in fact, uh, people could get arrested for professing love for each other or having sex with each other. Um, and in this very strange world, of all the people to lead a resistance group, it's Apocalypse. And it's basically Apocalypse kind of looking like a hippie. Like there's very far out 60s psychedelic art. And Apocalypse is the leader of a resistance group preaching love and community. Um, and he goes by the title Mershid. Um, all the characters refer to him as Mershid, which is actually the Arabic term for teacher, which I don't know if that would be like the... Arabic equivalent of rabbi mm. because Rav or rabbi means also teacher. means teacher, yeah. but it's really cool that apocalypse is like, has this quasi religious teacher title to him as he's leading a revolution of peace and love against the like anti-love anti-religion dystopia. <laughs> but when I hear anti-religion and peace going together, I don't know about you, Henry, I can't help but think about, you know, the John Lennon song, Imagine, mm -hmm. um, because of that lyric of like, imagine there's no religions. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I've known, I've known so many people in my life who point to it. It was like, yeah, religion's oh, yeah. nothing but, but war or like religion just leads to conflict. And if there wasn't religion, things would be so much. And as someone who's like engaged in my Judaism, I'm always like, um, excuse me. I would like, I, I would like to point out the, the community and the support and the, uh, so I don't, should we talk about Imagine Henry? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would love to go on public record on why this is a dumb song. And I love John Lennon. I love the Beatles. I love John Lennon's solo stuff. I've always been uncomfortable and sort of disturbed by how vapid and simplistic Imagine is with it, with sort of the guise of being very deep and serious. And my brother and I have talked a lot about it. I was like, all right, give me top five reasons 
Rabbi Arya Bernstein, why John Lennon's song Imagine is dumb. He started off by saying, living for today sounds pretty unambitious and impatient to me. I'd like some improvements in this world that might take more than 24 hours. And what about bearing and raising children? Living for today is a recipe for being unprepared. Then, there's no evidence that people live in peace when there aren't countries. In fact, as bloody and horrific countries have been, ample data shows that killing, killings of humans by other humans have steadily trended downward over history, especially due to large, powerful, stable governments. No countries means warlord. What does it mean, the world will be as one? One what? It is, it is already one world. But I wouldn't know what the other worlds he was referring to. Hunger is not a function of there being possessions. Hunger is a function of not having enough to eat. Many factors can cause that. Certainly hoarding by the few to deny the few of the many can be one cause, but that can happen just as easily in a social environment with possessions as without. And lastly, a brotherhood of man? Seriously, John? In 1971, you didn't think about women in your utopia? While you and your other tripped out men are living for today, the women are behind the scenes, keeping you alive, budgeting for tomorrow, etc. And that's not to mention even how stupid I imagine no religion is. Wow. My brother, <laughs> I, I love getting him wound up and having him be able to go. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm almost disappointed that X-Man isn't in the issues we're covering more because now I just want to think of him as Nate Gray Lennon. Um, <laughs> so he's just like, like Nate Gray and his, his John Lennon imagined paradise uh, that's secretly a dystopia. Um, we're going we're gonna to go in and see <laughs> yeah. how, how, the, how the panels of this comic show what's, what's wrong with that simplistic view of just like oh yeah and if there was if there was although john lennon probably wouldn't be anti-sex but whatever no probably not but like the the i mean just just specifically what you're talking about about imagine no religion and this idea that there's no religion in this comic like that also bothers me because then you're just erasing like by saying by saying all religions are evil and bad it just erases judaism because right right it just means like I mean, oh, okay we, we don't exist anywhere so you don't you know you don't want me to have a job you don't want me to be have my community <laughs> you don't want me to have my traditions that that's what that means that that's what that means yeah. for for some jews right 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 and i i mean to what i would guess is that coming from from the x-men's perspective especially you know, one of the most revered X-Men stories of all time is something called God Loves, Man Kills, mm -hmm. um, which features a villain named William Stryker. Uh, you may be familiar with him from X2, X-Men United, the movie that came out in like 2002, I want to say. Uh, maybe 2003? Yeah, 2003, sorry. Anyway, William Stryker in the movie was a, a, a soldier, but in the comics, he's a reverend, right? And there's often been these villain groups in X-Men comics that are essentially... Um, ultra bigoted conservative christian groups that believe that mutants go against god's will and want to destroy all mutants and kill all mutants because they view them as an affront and that's a way in which you can kind of hear the queer analog and and or you know x-men is a queer allegory sort of comes through of like this is an unnatural thing and and you know because of my religion i'm against it but the problem is you know um, as often happens in the world, so many times people mean they have issues with Christianity and they apply it to every religion and all religion. And so it's like no religion um, because of the works of a few, you know, fundamentalist extremist groups. But I don't want to get too lost in that rabbit hole. 
but I just think like that's probably where it was coming from from the X Men world. But the unfortunate thing is, you would think that it runs the risk of erasing Judaism. But thankfully, Tim Seeley is actually a pretty savvy writer, and right. we're going to see a lot of Judaism in this series, yeah. starting in issue number one on page eight, where our setting is there's an agent of something called Department X who is surveilling Midtown Manhattan around a statue of Hope. Uh, or Hope Summers. Um, this is a character who is Cable's adopted daughter. She was at one time the mutant messiah. It's interesting because X-Man's sort of a messiah, and so now he's got this statue honoring <laughs> the the other messiah. But anyway, um, the, the statue's called Hope Against Darkness, and so clearly all these mutant analogs are basically like standing in place of religion now. And there's a resistance group conducting a mission, and that resistance group consists of Kitty Bride, our, our character of focus today, and iBoy, who... Um, He's what he sounds like. He just has eyes all over his body, like everywhere. And he can see and like he actually develops into a fascinating character and is able to like see in all these extreme ways. But he's, you know, he's just a guy named Trevor whose codename is Eyeboy and has eyes all over his body. I love when the X-Men on purpose don't even try. With their, with their I code know. names. <laughs> I know. Well, it's like, yeah, yeah, You couldn't call him Cyclops because he's not one eye. He's like many eyes. Right. He's, he's the anti-Cyclops. Multi-clops. Multiclops, but I'd rather have Eyeboy than Multiclops. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so Kitty Pride uses her powers to go into the statue, and when she phases out, she's holding a nine-branched menorah. Mm. And she says, "Kitty Pride, the Jewish character, holds it up and says, what is this? Mm. She doesn't know what it is." Um, and then Eyeboy, can you can you respond and read yeah. what Eyeboy says, Henry? Sure. It's called a menorah, Shadow Cat an important symbol of an extinct religion called Judaism. This used to be the site of a synagogue before the exalted X-Men filled it in. Okay. Interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. It's it, like the, the backstory of this alternate world is coming together. Right. Extinct religion is obviously like terrifying. And also I'm fascinated by it from the sort of, you know, sci-fi perspective. Um, but what I'm really wondering, Henry, is all we know is that it's somewhere in Midtown Manhattan. I'm so curious which synagogue this was. <laughs> yeah, it's it is interesting though. Going back to what we were just talking about, that like a part of this universe is not that religion doesn't exist, but that actually it was erased. It became it ended, and that's like, right. That's and so, like an interesting thing to think about in terms of Judaism. I, you know? It feels like it's going in the direction of the Imagine song. Like right. there was religion and things were awful, and now we live in a utopia where there's right. not religion. Isn't it a better thing now? Right. right? And I guess, you know, I, I, I'll have to admit, I haven't read every issue of Age of X Man because it was like many different series, and I just didn't, I didn't, I wasn't too drawn to it. But, right. um, but I would imagine that it's also like, you know, when you have, sex and love people get jealous people cheat people do this so to outlaw all of it is probably a way in in nate gray's mind of like cool if there's no love and sex then there's no need to fight or compete in that way and once again we live in utopia instead of killing each other for love mm. anyway judaism like you said is extinct shadow cat has no idea what a synagogue is but i boy because he's got all those eyes he knows he's read the history books <laughs> and on page nine he continues what's he say next henry a menorah comes in seven or nine branch varieties, depending on its use in temple or during the eight days of Hanukkah. Okay, on the one hand, I, I'm like, 
the way he's saying it is so like, let me read you a Wikipedia entry. But on the <laughs> other hand, like, I can't, how many times have we complained because it's a seven branched menorah when it right. should have been a nine branched or a nine branched? And he like, he knows he's know. explaining the difference. I gotta say, I really appreciate them getting right just the numbers of branches on this, on this Hanukkah. Like, I just, I really appreciate that just because we've seen it this done badly so many times again and again and again yeah right um it's it's amazing so we get it right we this is honestly i i can imagine someone who's not jewish reading this comic and then being like oh i had no idea there was right. a seven and a nine branch right. one right like, this is actually educating people right. about the menorah totally. which is amazing um and then Shadowcat suddenly has a flashback and a memory that shouldn't be coming through that she has a memory of being with her mom mm. lighting a menorah when she's a little girl. In Deerfield, Illinois. In Deerfield, Illinois, not too far from you right now. Um, and Catherine, you know, uh, Kitty Pride's mom is saying, and that's the last one. Happy Hanukkah, Catherine. So sweet. It's so sweet. Is she blowing them so out in this... No, I don't think so. I <laughs> no, don't she's think going so. like, ooh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's her 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 mouth is like pursed because she's like, oh. I mean, you know, I thought I felt it this year too. When I reached the eighth night, I was like, dang, this menorah really does look best when it's fully lit. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like like the other nights, the Hanukkah are good, and it's sad when it's getting to an end. But like, really, when you see like the eighth night, you're like, dang, this is like very satisfying. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, all right, so in issue number two, just continuing straight along, um, you know, we're not following any of the rest of the story, just the Jewish content. So on page seven, um, Kitty is meeting directly with her Mershid, with her teacher, Apocalypse, and she's asking uh, what's going on with that what's it she found, <laughs> because they don't just find the menorah and like leave it. it. It continues to pop up throughout the series. And Apocalypse then tells Kitty, its very design was said to have been delivered by God, which... I, I love Apocalypse teaching. I love like Apocalypse's backstory is that he is at least as old as like ancient, ancient Egyptian Egypt. times. Yeah. I believe that in like the what is it uh, Rise of Apocalypse miniseries the nineties, it's revealed that he was like a slave in Egypt until his mutant powers activated, uh -huh. and then he kind of like took over from Rama Tut, who is <laughs> Kang by the way in the past. But I'm not going to get too far in that. Wow. But like, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But like Apocalypse was around essentially i think the implication is that apocalypse was around in like biblical times mm. right and so to have apocalypse saying it's it's it was designed was delivered by god that's a direct reference to um in exodus 25 31 uh at the beginning of parshat truma um God gives instructions to Moses and it says the Asita menorat zahav you shall make a menorah out of gold mm. so you know if you if you look in towards the end of Exodus um God actually explicitly explains to Moses what the menorah is and how to make it and so the menorah not only becomes a symbol for the temple and a symbol for ancient Judaism and a, a symbol for the Israelite people um but yeah, according to the Torah, it comes directly from God. And so Apocalypse is letting us know, like, this is a special design because it was delivered by God, which is like just a cool, 
I don't know. It's like, again, I don't know uh, if, if our author here, you know, went in and, and, and went back to the Hebrew Bible or to his old Testament and studied Exodus to like mm. get that. But like, it's pretty cool that that is, uh, that, that is acknowledged, especially given the themes of this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, on page eight, Kitty is wondering, well, why would the X-Men bury it and hide it under a statue? Um, and Apocalypse responds, Faith provides belief in something beyond oneself. Faith is community, and God is a fire to gather around. At which point the menorah spontaneously lights. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Great uh, sound effect, too. Foosh. Foosh. Love a good foosh in my comics. Um, I just like, I I am positive that this is like coincidence and not intentional, but it's so cool that, um, right. Like there's like this mysterious light that comes up on the menorah that apocalypse is arguing that, right. Like that, that God is the fire to gather around to build community. And there's Torah around the idea that, that part of what we do at Hanukkah is we reveal the 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 organ news or the 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 like the hidden light right or the 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 light that's like sewn away and hidden that there's this this hidden light the metaphor that reveals miracles that normally mm. we cannot see mm. right like that that's what Hanukkah is about so I love the fact that Apocalypse is talking about how to you know save this world and and what it would mean to bring faith back and community and people relying on each other and then we get like the the menorah just lighting up there's something really lovely there beautiful on issue number three issue number three we don't really get anything so we're going forward to number four on page nine kitty has been reunited with her on again off again lover colossus that being lover in the main world not in 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 this world right in the main world you know as you may remember uh she lit a yurtzeit candle for him Yes, yes, indeed. Here, her and Colossus get together, and Colossus asks, you know, oh, what is that thing? What is this menorah? And Kitty explains, it's from a forgotten faith illegalized way before my time. Right? So, Mm. Kitty's answer is trying to sort of, like, push it away from her and say it's not really hers. And then Peter asks, if it's this thing that's forgotten and illegal, why give it such a place of honor in your room? Right. Like he basically asked her, like, it clearly just based on where you have it positioned, it means something, which, you know, I'm just realizing now is kind of like how people have their like Judaica cabinets Mm -hmm. and they have these like Judaica items on display to honor them and to sort of say, like, this is important to me. So I have it here. And so Kitty doesn't remember or she barely remembers what this thing is, but something about her is drawn to it. And I love, I love that the menorah becomes this image that comes into play over and over again in this comic. Mm -hmm. But I really love that, like, Kitty, even though she doesn't remember being Jewish, is drawn to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like it's fire. The fire is in the light is inside of her. Yes. It's yes. cool. Like, you, you know, we, we see this all the time in comics and, and comic book movies. Like, the person who is, like, their mind is being controlled by a villain. And, like, the way they always get through is, like, the hero is like, come on, you've got to fight. Fight for it. Remember who you are, you know. And then they wake up and then defeat the villain, right? Happens all the time. It's actually totally overplayed uh, trope. But it's really sweet that, like, the thing for kitty is like this little in the back of her mind is is judaism i love that yeah 
yeah explicitly symbolized by the menorah which is like kind of hitting you over the head with it but it's all it's like it's a very recognizable thing and she has a memory so it's it's nice it's really nice. And it brings us to the last issue of this miniseries, Age of X-Men Apocalypse in the Extracts number five from <laughs> July 2019. There's a lot of complications and twists and turns that I don't fully want to get into of like, now suddenly Apocalypse is a bad guy and the team doesn't know if they could trust him, but actually no X-Man is the main bad guy. But throughout the comic on page four and five, the menorah is just there. We see it in the background. We see it's there. On page 15, uh, the table has gotten knocked over. So the menorah has fallen to the ground. And then on page 18, as the extracts, this team is fighting against their teacher, Apocalypse. Kitty takes the menorah and phases the entire menorah through Apocalypse <laughs> like it is a nine-pointed dagger. <laughs> right? There's this incredible silhouetted panel of a bright glowing menorah in the middle of Apocalypse's chest, and Apocalypse is all in darkness. And the like the contrast of the colors and the imagery, like it's kind of shocking to see the menorah used as a weapon of yeah, violence. Yeah. But it's also kind of awesome. Yeah, it's super awesome. It's it's great. You know, and she's yelling, "No more damn lies!" You know, right, so. right. Because what what does the light of the menorah or the light of Torah do? Right, it truth. reveals what's hidden. Yeah. It burns away. It reveals the truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's terrific. Um, it was, it's a great great visual. Yeah, it's absolutely. such a cool visual, and. It, of course, Kitty's power to phase means that she's, you know, making it go through him and then become solid. But Apocalypse right. is, you know, thankfully a, a, a hardy boy. He's not going <laughs> to uh, get killed by this. But he is like, while he's down and weakened, he muses, the menorah fallen from the heavens, designed by God. Nathan placed it there to be found, to be used on me. Brilliant. Um, which, you know, well, it's almost like uh, Benicio del Toro. What does he do in uh, Guardians, right? Where he's like, magnificent, yeah. magnificent. <laughs> um, but Apocalypse going brilliant. So the idea is that X Man actually planted the menorah, always intending to bring the extracts apart mm-hmm. through it. But um, it's just kind of neat that Apocalypse is like, oh, this like design from God that came to Earth is actually the thing that like revealed me as a fraud, I suppose. Right. right like I'm not right. revealed, you know, who I'm not. Um, yeah. And then, you know, apocalypse basically explains why, even though he was not as honest as he could have been and he, and he's maybe lost their trust. Like they do still need to work together to stop the X man. They need to stop Nate gray. Um, and, and so the extracts agree and Kitty pulls the menorah out of him on page 22 and the extracts all join hands and they, recite what's basically a liturgy, right? What Apocalypse has taught them as their liturgy. And I just thought it would be interesting to read it. Um, Henry, do you want to read it or should I? Sure. We seek to find the divinity within and to express this revelation in exchange with others. We believe community is not conflict. We believe love is not war. We believe mutant is not God. And I'm really torn, like I get it and I get how this captures the themes and it's kind of nice, this idea of like 
being in community doesn't mean war and and love does not mean fighting you're right like i, I get it in the mm-hmm. themes and it just feels to me very like all of a sudden the jewishness has completely disappeared and suddenly i'm like wait was i reading something of just like a bunch of christians trying to right. claim an understanding of jewish ideas what's right. going on yeah i, I mean uh, also you know that that sort of like goes again you know if we're using the Han- the hanukia right like the 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 story of the Maccabees is war. That's what it is. Like, obviously it's, you know, we've talked about a million times how that was sort of changed to make it about light, but of course there's conflict and, 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 and war. Yeah. And yeah. also people were created in the image of God. So to say mutant is not God, right? Like that's, you know. Oh, that's it's so interesting. I did not think about it at all of the idea of like human being created in the image of God and therefore mutant also being in the image of God. That's right. cool, Henry. I mean, it That's sort of really goes cool. against what, you know, what Magneto would argue, you know, mutant is God, you know? We, right. And that's definitely the idea that they're pressing against. They're right. trying to say, like, we should not be ruling humans. Like, uh-huh. we are not God. We are uh-huh. equal to humans, not uh-huh. above them. Well, that's nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a nice, it's a nice message. It's just kind of like, okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, overall, Really cool to see the menorah consistently appearing and yeah. reappearing. Fun to see a new element of Kitty's Judaism in this way. Absolutely. I, I just got to say, like, Tim Seeley is a really thoughtful guy. He, a lot of his runs have things that are referenced throughout. And he he's a very well-read, really thoughtful, really nice guy. Um, his comic book store is my comic book store, Chicago Comics. Met him nice. many, many times, both at C2E2 and... Uh, and at the comic book store and he's just a he's just a great guy and a really good writer also no slouch as an artist either also a great penciler so shout out to tim seeley all right well the next thing we're looking at is a series called marauders starring kitty pride marauders number 11 august 2020 it's pretty recent the story is called pour one out written by jerry dugan penciled by stefano caselli colored by edgar delgado lettered by vcs cory Pettit, designed by Tom Mueller, Mueller, and edited by Jordan D. White. So I think, Brandon, you're going to have to catch us up a little bit on what the Marauders is, where sort of the X world was in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. So, you know, in the summer of 2019, it will go down as perhaps my favorite summer ever collecting comic books because Jonathan Hickman returned to the X-Men um, or returned to Marvel to write X-Men and just brought in an amazing change in status quo and new things. And I'm going to try not to get too lost into things, but um, he just brought in, you know, his run just ended uh, literally this week, yesterday, the last issue of his, of his run ended, but the status quo is continuing. Jonathan Hickman brought in this new status quo where not just the X-Men, but literally all mutants are living on an island called Krakoa. Um, Krakoa used to be a villain, but now it's like living in peace with the X-Men. Again, I don't want to get too lost into details, but feel free to you know tag me on Twitter if you if you have any questions. But all mutants, good and bad, are creating a new mutant society, 
living on the island of Krakoa. They're able to travel through these gates that only mutants can travel through where you plant a, a seed somewhere on the earth and a gate grows. And so they can get from Krakoa to literally any city in the world. Um, and they've also discovered the secret to immortality by being able to grow human bodies through the combined powers of five mutants called the five, um, and then implant someone's consciousness back into it. So all the mutants are functionally immortal. Um, they are weird and distant and amazing. And it led to all these new titles. And Kitty is part of a team of what essentially amounts to pirates. Um, they're working for the Hellfire Trading Company, and they have a ship called the Marauder. And they go around trying to make sure that uh, Krakoa is able to uh, export its uh, its main offering to the world, which is pharmaceuticals and drugs to help people. And so... Um, Kitty leads this team, but there's something weird going on with her. She is the only mutant who can't pass through gates. And uh, in issue number, I think, nine or ten of Marauders, uh, she was killed by Sebastian Shaw. And she can't be resurrected. And there was this mystery going on of, like, is she not actually a mutant? What's happening? And Henry, I've got to say, at the end of Marauders number 10... What's cool about this era of X-Men is every single X book ends with a preview of what the next issue is and what it's called. And they created their own language using Krakoan symbols. And basically, it's just a cipher key. So if you have the cipher key, you know what symbol equals what letters. So it's spelled out in English, but using the cipher. So the Krakoan text at the end of number 10 reads that the name of the next issue is supposed to be Hesped. Hesped is the Hebrew word for eulogy, right? Like... They said the next issue is called Eulogy, but in a Hebrew Jewish word. I was primed yeah, we for Marauders stuck. number 11 to be the most Jewish issue I'd encountered because they went and called it right. the Hebrew word for has, for eulogy. Right. We right? thought we were going to get a, 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 you know, a really good Jewish funeral, much like we got in that Batwoman issue. That's what we thought was going to happen. Right. I, I thought this was going to be amazing. Um, we're already hinting at it. I, <laughs> I'm going I'm to be so angry. Mm -hmm. I'm so pissed off at Jerry Dugan for what he did in this issue. And I'll explain mm -hmm. everything to you listeners. So on page two, this whole story is told in the framework of Nightcrawler. Um, you know, my favorite X-Man, but, you know, also a formerly ordained priest, um, writing a letter to Kitty Pride in which he literally says that they are, there's a bar on the island and they're waiting for her to get resurrected and come back. Um, they're waiting for her return to christen the bar. It literally says, we're all considering it a soft opening until you've had a chance to christen it. So, you know, christen is obviously related to Christ, as in right. Jesus. Right. So, uh, poor choice of words from right. Kurt, in my opinion. Right. And also, like, obviously, there have been many Jews over time who have been involved in the Navy and in the launching of ships and have probably christened ships. It's a whole part of Christian hegemony. But it just felt like this is our one Jewish character. Do you have to have that on page two? On an issue that I thought was called right. Hesped. <laughs> right. It was supposed to be called Hesped. <laughs> right, right, right. 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 It's like, this is how it starts, so, folks. This is where we're going. Right. <laughs> on page seven to eight, we get the actual funeral during which they take Kitty and they bury her at sea, sort of like a Viking pyre. There is no Judaism whatsoever in this funeral. They send her out to sea and they light her on fire. Jewish comic book fandom was torn 
And half of it was, well, maybe not half, a large chunk of it was outraged. A lot of Jewish fans were furious and they were arguing that to show a Jewish character lit on fire was incredibly insensitive and right. offensive due to the Holocaust, right? That there's this representation and to, to take comic books, most recognizable Jewish character and light her on fire is horribly insensitive. Now, other Jewish fans said lots of Jews these days get cremated. It's not such a big deal. It feels okay, right? So there was a whole hullabaloo. But like, instead of being a celebration of her Judaism, this issue led to so many thought pieces and so many people writing things and complaining yeah. and and arguing back and forth. And you know, to take a step back, um, Henry, one of the things we've discovered over and over again in this podcast is the importance of of representation and part of the deal is that the more representatives you have, the less weight there is on any one representative to represent all elements right. of Judaism. So right. like if there were more examples of Jewish funerals, then that one of them, or even like a few of them are more cremation style, no big deal, but it just, it felt, I don't, I've seen very few Jewish burials in some ways, thank God in comic books. So it felt weird and off-putting to suddenly have this. Yeah, and I, I'm sorry, there, there's no way that Jerry Dugan thought about the nuance of, oh, well, some Jews cremate, so... I, I'm sorry, I just don't believe that he thought about any of that and that this was just... This is this was just insensitive, slap in the face. Yeah. Because he wasn't thinking. He wasn't... I don't think he was thinking about it. And that's what's that's what offends me. Right. There was no, it was very strange because he seemed to also feel like there was so many, what he thought were nods and winks to Jewish readers, such as on page 22, um, by the end, they do finally realize that how to bring Kitty back. It's basically the idea that because she phases, like whenever people are resurrected, they burst out of these eggs, but Kitty doesn't burst, she phases. So they need to phase her through the egg. And anyway, she comes back and they're talking about it. And uh, Tempest, Tempest, who's a mutant, who's part of the five, whose powers to sort of speed up or slow down the flow of time. Um, she remarks it only took them 18 tries. And Nightcrawler, Kurt, zeroes in on this and is like, ah, what number did you say? And Jerry Dugan and fans are trying to claim that, like, yeah, it's a reference to 18 being high. And like, oh, isn't that such a cool Jewish thing that it took 18 tries for her to be reborn and to have life? 18 is high. Oh, my gosh. But, like, there's no explanation in the comic. Yeah. It doesn't get written out. It, like... It, it feels like so little in the face of everything else that happened in that issue. Like Kurt could have just said that, like, as you know, dear friends, 18 is means, you know, like there's no kitty literally wears a Magain David around her neck. Like she could have easily wear a high, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's yeah. just, it, it, it was, it, it was lame. It's, it's just like, don't, don't wink and nod at us. Just do the thing. Just do actually yeah. do it. Actually say it. Yeah. You don't have to throw us a bone after insulting us. Right. So when Marauders number 11 came out, there was, as I said, an entire hullabaloo on the internet of a lot of people being upset and a lot of pieces written. And I remember Jerry Dugan essentially sort of saying like, the story's not over, just wait, it'll like, you'll be happy, it'll be okay. Like basically like read number 12 and see what happens. So uh, Marauders number 12, the new phase um, came out in September, 2020. And I believe 
has the exact same creative team. It, it other than no, almost. Yeah, it's penciled by Matteo Loli. Right. But otherwise, the rest of the team is the same. Um, and one of the most prominent things is that there is uh, the cover is a really wonderful image of Kitty Pride with incredibly curly hair and holding up, I believe, her knuckle tattoos. The creators made a really big deal about this. Like, and I remember some fans saying, like, oh, Kitty's curly hair is back. And there's a big deal about this that, like, Kitty's no longer like hiding her Judaism via her hair as though like, I, you know, obviously I know that um, a lot of Ashkenazi Jewish girls have very curly hair. And, you know, I've talked to many Jewish women who've talked about their experience of straightening it because they felt like their curly hair was weird and they wanted to just have straight hair like other people around them. Um, but in a world where like a lot of the Jewish conversations are around, you know, how do we be more inclusive of Jews of color? How do we recognize that there's Sephardi Judaism and Mizrahi Judaism and Ethiopian Jews and Ugandan Jews and uh, Yemenite Jews and Moroccan Jews and like Jews all over to like say, hey, here's your Jewish content in the form of Kitty returning to this like stereotypical Ashkenazi image. It just like, again, it felt lacking and maybe this whole situation has me just sort of so bitter that like even the nice things i can't take them as nice right like i it might be too bitter to swallow but like it just again it feels like very shallow surface level stuff that i'm like you want me to be happy with this no i'm not happy at all with this yeah i I think it's very generous to say that it's shallow it's actually quite offensive and because it implies that she looks jewish And anyone who's ever had someone say to them, oh, you look Jewish, and I have (laughs) recently, the next question is, what does that mean exactly? What are you trying to say? So, oh, because I have curly hair, you know, oh, because I have a big nose, a beard, like what, what, what is it about, about my appearance that makes me quote unquote, look Jewish? Like, do you look Christian, you know? Right. And, and so to use that as the um, defense for the previously offensive things towards Jews in the, in the previous issue, that's even worse actually. And yeah, Kitty looks great here. It's an awesome look for Kitty, but, and with her, you know, Magen David is drawn pretty nice and big, but don't make her curly hair the big deal because that's irrelevant to me. You know, like my wife has curly hair, yeah. Before I went bald, I had very curly hair. It, that I would say is like one of the last things that makes me Jewish. Or you know, my, right. my wife has a short haircut. You wouldn't even know that she has curly, curly uh, brunette hair. You know, um, right. and, and then and, and then on top of that, everything you said about what Jews look like, there are so many different types of Jews in the world that to 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 assume that. Um, that Ashkenazi Jews are the way quote unquote Jews look. I mean, that, that does, that kind of gets into some Nazi propaganda stuff, you know, and it goes down like a bad, bad, bad rabbit hole. Now, listeners, I can already hear you yelling at us. I know, I know. What about the name of the podcast? You call yourselves <laughs> funny. They don't look Jewish. Clearly, you're aware of, to some degree, clearly Henry and I are aware of the sort of like jokey stereotype of the idea that someone could look Jewish. And so I just want to say that, like, for me, I think 
one, it's a little different when it's an in-group joke versus an out-group joke, right? It's sort of oh, like totally. for Jews to be saying it. Yeah. It can be a little different. And I think like we picked it because we're just like, the idea is like, it's comic books. It's a visual media, a medium. It's a clever, like catchy phrase that people are familiar with. Um, so like, right. you know, I, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to have it both ways in saying this, but I just want to say like, I'm aware that the podcast name brings it <laughs> up. And also here, we're just like, we're still angry about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can yeah. you can have both. I think that's okay. I think yeah. we're allowed to name our podcast whatever we want. We are we're allowed to right. quote many many a uh, Jewish comedian who's made that joke. Um, you know, it's in jest. It's uh, tongue in cheek. It's referential. Right. But right. Uh, Jerry Dugan doesn't get to do that. Sorry. Right. <laughs> so on page thirteen, as Kitty is going around and reconnecting with all the people that uh you know she's so excited to see and they're thrilled that she's back kurt hands her back her magen david necklace the very same one that henry mentioned her wearing in her first appearance sorry for spoiling um, that <laughs> no it's all good it's all good and it, it's a nice panel and it feels insufficient in the larger picture of things um you know, it's definitely nice that she gets it back. So like, it's not like part of the thing with this resurrection protocol and how it works. And, and the X-Men these days is like someone dies, they come back, obviously their body's back, but like anything they had on them is lost. So I get that it's like meaningful that Nightcrawler reclaimed and found the necklace from her body and brought it back. And like, it's very nice that she has the same necklace she's had since she was young. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like totally tangential. But one thing I do like in general is that when you are focusing on Kitty's Judaism and she's a pirate these days, it just reminds Reminds me, Henry, are you familiar at all with the Jewish pirates of the Caribbean? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, it is an incredible book by Edward Kritzler written about the fact that, in fact, there were Jewish pirates. Oh, no um, way. And so, yeah, I just want to read this uh, this like summary from the back of his book. The book, again, is called Jewish Pirates of the Caribbean, and this is what it says at the back. At the end of the 15th century, many Jews had to flee Spain and Portugal. The most adventurous among them took to the seas as freewheeling outlaws. In ships bearing names such as the Prophet Samuel, Queen Esther, and Shield of Abraham, they attacked and plundered the Spanish fleet while forming alliances with other European powers to ensure the safety of Jews living in hiding. Basically, there were crews of Jewish pirates getting revenge on the Spanish for kicking them out of Spain. It's such a cool hidden part of history. Um, There's a comic book series waiting to be written. Oh, man. Yeah, I would love Jewish Pirates of the Caribbean, the comic book series. So cool. Um, to, To bring this to a close... Page 18, Kitty goes specifically to a tattoo shop, pays an exorbitant amount of money to get these knuckle tattoos. Um, Whatever. I don't care. Lots of Jews have tattoos. That's fine. Um, And then Kitty actually ends up giving this tattoo artist, who's um, a woman, a a deep kiss at the end. She just like kisses her, um, confirming and finally putting on panel her long known but never made explicit queer identity. And I just remember readers getting it. Like once this issue came out and once this panel was there, the conversation changed completely. And all anyone talked about was how amazing it was that Kitty finally was like out on the page and was like kissing a woman. Cause there were so many Kitty's had so many strong female friendships that were right. sort of written as like, they're just best gal pals. Right. When it was like very clearly the author was implying there was more going on, right. but Marvel wouldn't allow it to be on the page. So like it's huge for queer representation. And I was so thrilled for the queer community to be able to like have that moment. And it really sucked that suddenly, um, 
my anger over the the just insufficient Jewish representation. It was like a slap in the face, and it was so um, unfortunate that like I couldn't really call it out without feeling like a party pooper. Like right. it just again, it changed the conversation, and so I just like I want to be able to celebrate Kitty's Judaism the same way that queer readers were able to celebrate. Uh, that kiss on panel. Although I will say many people have pointed out like there's been absolutely nothing done with Kitty's queerness since that panel. So yeah. in all aspects, they're really kind of dropping the ball with her characterization. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a great way to sum, sum it up. They're dropping the ball. Yeah. Dropping the ball. It's always a bummer when we end on these notes, but we're out of time for today. We're going to be looking next time at a few more characters that we covered before and catching you up on what's been going on Jewishly. <laughs> you think um, we were mad? You think we're mad tonight? Wait, maybe listen <laughs> next time. <laughs> there's a mix. There's good stuff and there's bad, but who knows? Maybe maybe people like hearing us rant. I don't know. I think they do. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. If you're listening, if you if you stuck with us this long, you you like us for the highs and the lows. Um, thanks as always for listening. We're really excited to record part two. There might be um, a bonus episode coming along also out of this. But uh, for now, thanks for listening, everybody. We're excited to continue catching up next time. But for now, I'm Brandon Bernstein. I'm Henry Bernstein. No, no relation. relation. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Jewish Comics Pod, or you can email us at Jewish Comics Podcast at gmail.com.